and I'll be reading from the Bible uh, this morning. Uh, I'll be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 28. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell, sorry, not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Some of you will have heard of the famous uh, explorer Ernest Shackleton. In 1914 through to 17, uh, he crossed the Antarctic continent And in preparation for that expedition, he put an ad in the paper for a team to be with him on that mission. And this was the ad that went in. It said this. It said, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. Now, it's hardly the kind of ad we would expect today, is it? Uh, You know, we would be working up the sense of adventure or uh, we would be, uh, you know, talking about a unique opportunity or a a true experience or something like this. Um, That is just far more truthful than what we would be. But Shackleton wanted to be real about the hardships of the mission that his team were going to be heading into so that they would be well prepared for the journey. Yes, there would be honour and there would be recognition in case of success. But the journey there would involve hardship. 
Now, as we come to the passage that we're looking at this morning, we see something similar. Here, Jesus is startlingly honest about the path ahead for himself and for those who follow him. Yes, in Jesus, there is resurrection and there is joy. And we're left with deep clarity that the end rewards far surpass the hardships that we meet along the way. But Jesus wants you to be under no illusions about the journey. He's gritty and he's real. Jesus says, I want you to understand that to follow me is to follow me into death. And so we come to our passage this morning. Now, if you were with us last time, you might remember that um, verses 13 through to 20 are a special moment. Uh, There, one of the disciples states plainly for the first time the conclusion that they've come to about Jesus. Uh, Peter knows who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the King that God had promised hundreds of years earlier to send. The disciples have worked out who Jesus is, and that is really significant. But what becomes clear is that the disciples don't yet understand his mission. They don't understand what the king has come to do. See, Jesus' mission, we're told, in verse 21, was to die. Jesus had to die. You see it there in that verse. We read, from that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, notice there that word must. Jesus is saying, okay, great, you've worked out who I am. I'm the promised king, and so now it's time for you to work out my mission. I must die. Now, what a shock that must have been. Okay, in all the history of monarchs everywhere, I've never heard of a a king that comes to their um, throne saying, hey, you know, guess what I came to do? I came to die. All right, if if King Charles at his coronation um, does that uh, later on this coming year, I think we would find that unexpected, right? Right. That would be very unusual. And this was unexpected for the Jews as well. Uh, This is why Peter, in verse 32, takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him sharply. Uh, Because the whole Jewish perception of the Messiah King was that he was going to come in strength and he would crush evil and the Romans would be ousted and Israel would be a great nation again. And so it didn't seem right for Jesus to say, Yes, I'm the Messiah, and I must die. But that's what he says. And he actually sees it. It's it's quite clear clear here that he sees it as very important, uh, which is why he responds to Peter, actually with equal strength to Peter, and he says, your thinking is actually straight from Satan. It's not from God. Jesus had to die, and he wants us to understand that really really clearly. Now, I wonder if you have the same strength of feeling on this topic that Jesus had. How important is the cross to you? See, Jesus wasn't content with any kind of thinking that bypassed or that minimized the cross. 
Okay, in the cross of Jesus, there is something that is deeply uncomfortable, is there not? Uh, Yes, for those who see it, the cross is wonderful too, uh, more wonderful than we can possibly imagine, but but still the cross is an offence to many. It's an offence to many because in the cross, Jesus says, yes, I came to deal with evil and actually I came to deal with your evil too, uh, but the only way to deal with your sins is through atonement. It's through blood, it's through sacrifice, it's through the death of one who didn't deserve to die for the sake of those who did deserve to die. And so I must die, Jesus says. There just is no other way around this. See, the cross, it's actually very, very uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because it speaks of just how sinful we really are that the king himself must die if we are to be forgiven. How confronting and how gracious of our king. For the cross shows you both that you are far more sinful than you realise and that God's love is far greater than you realise. And so let's not have a faith that moves too quickly to speaking of victory or of God's help for living our best life now. Let's not be too quick to jump there because when you are ready to linger at the cross, you will grow in humility as you appreciate the the depth of your need. And when you're ready to linger at the cross you will grow in gratitude as you realise that the cost of your salvation, Jesus had to die. And actually, the followers of Jesus also must die. This is where Jesus goes in verse 24. He moves from talking about his death to speaking now of the death of his disciples. We read there, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Okay, to be a a disciple, it's to follow someone else. Uh, A disciple was uh, an apprentice of their master. They were a, a learner of their master. That's what a disciple was. And what Jesus is actually saying here is he's saying, hey, okay, you want to be one of my disciples? Great, well then... Learn from me. Uh, You're going to see me die. I'm going to deny myself for the sake of others. And so learn from me. You must follow in my footsteps, is what he's saying. Now, of course, no disciple um, could ever give their lives to atone for sin, as Jesus did, because we ourselves are sinful. But Jesus here is saying is that what we are to do is we are to follow the pattern of his life. You may not be called on to literally die for him, but you will absolutely find yourself having to say no to yourself, to deny yourself in order to live for him and to serve others. We deny ourselves. And of course, we do that not out of some sense of beating ourselves up. That would just be self-atonement. Jesus has atoned for our sins. We do that not to beat ourselves up or to earn credit with God or something like that, but we do that just because of what Jesus has done for us and we are so grateful.
I love the way that Paul expresses this over in Titus chapter 2. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for Jesus Christ who gave himself to redeem us. See, here's our response to the cross of Christ. Uh, We're ready to say no to ourselves, to give up our lives in order to follow him. Some of you will remember several years back uh, the... The, the mission, the planned mission to Mars that was called Mars One. Uh, the idea was that a crew of people would be taken to the barren planet. Uh, a, a, a life-sustaining habitat was going to be created and it, it, was, it was going to be a, a one-way trip. Uh, they, they were actually signing up to living out the rest of their life on Mars. Um, with regular supplies being brought in from Earth. That was a failed venture. The company went bankrupt a couple of years ago. Uh, but it was interesting when they sought out volunteers uh, from people to, to leave their family, to leave everything that they had known and to go and to live on a barren planet for the rest of their lives. When they sought out volunteers for that, they had over 200,000 people who said that they wanted to do that. People were willing to do it. They were willing to deny themselves because of what they saw as a greater good in terms of scientific discovery, in terms of pioneering, and no doubt in terms of fame as well. But they were willing to give up everything for that. Now for us, we deny ourselves for something far better than mere scientific discovery, don't we? We have a king who has loved us and who has borne our judgment for us. And so we are ready to say no to ourselves in order to say yes to him. You know, many of us today uh, live with a kind of acute sense of FOMO, fear of missing out. We want to miss out on nothing. Uh, It's said today that an increasing mark of our culture is that people are afraid to make commitments in case something kind of better comes along and they miss out on that. I wonder if you've ever felt that yourself. I know I I certainly have sensed that in myself. Uh, We've got an acute sense of FOMO. But actually the Bible teaches that it's okay to sometimes miss out. In fact, that can be a very good and a very godly thing. When you deny yourself a day out so that you can serve on Kids Weekender uh, or a job promotion so that you can love your family well, when you deny yourself a new lounge so that you can give more generously or an easy conversation circle so that you can connect with the outsider, when you deny yourself an evening of Netflix so that you can read the Bible with a friend, or a Sunday morning sleep-in, so that you can be on 8.30 set-up team. When you deny yourself a job that's paying really, really well, so that you can do MTS, or a culture that you know so well, 
so that you can be a missionary. Uh, When you deny yourself in these ways and in many other ways, what a good thing that is. Uh, Yes, you will miss out on some things, but Jesus doesn't want us to be enslaved to FOMO. There is a better path. Now, that path will not always seem easier in the moment. But as we see in the following verses, in the end, we really don't miss out when we give up our lives for Christ. Okay, this is the point that Jesus goes on to make in verses 25 through to 28. We see there are three reasons to uh, sacrifice joyfully. Let's look at them. Firstly, taking up your cross for Christ is in fact the real path of life. Okay, what Jesus says in verse 25 is, 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 is this. He says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus is saying, you know what, there's actually something kind of counterintuitive here because actually people who just live for themselves, they're enslaved by FOMO, actually what they find out is that in the end, they're the ones that miss out. Uh, Whereas those who are ready to sacrifice and to deny themselves for Jesus, though they seem like they're losing, yet in the end, they're the ones that actually find life. It's not what you expect, but it's the way that it rolls. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, um, and whoever loses their life for me will save it, says Jesus. Now, that's certainly true in eternity. But actually, I think we see glimmers of this even in this life. I read an article this week. It was called, Why Travelling the World Has Left Me Feeling Empty. In it, the guy says that he's travelled the world to over 40 different countries over the past few years. Uh, Quite something. And yet he says this. He writes... I always felt like I was chasing the next better thing, whether it was finding a bigger mountain to hike, a more ancient temple, a tastier oyster, a cooler community, a better dive site, a more inspiring coffee shop, you name it. A French guy told me that here in France they call this behaviour moving wind. And he goes on to say that actually he's realising now that he He's only hurt himself because now he has no deep relationships, no real sense of community, and a bunch of half hobbies and half a career. In other words, the grief he's discovered is that as he's pursued his own life with every freedom that you could possibly hope for, no self-denial needed whatsoever, as he's pursued his own life, He's actually lost it. And this is illustrative of what Jesus is saying. See, Jesus' paths do involve self-denial, and that will be difficult in the moment. But, you know, even to some degree in this life, what we discover is that a a flourishing life involves self-denial. Strong relationships, a sense of community, a deep sense of Um, Communion with God, these things all involve self-denial. See, it's only only as we walk in the self-giving path of Jesus that we discover that there is flourishing to be found there. 
we actually find life as we give it away. Now, of course, we're speaking here in general terms. I, you know, I want to be careful here. I, I don't want to give you the impression that um, we can always see clearly how making this particular sacrifice led to that particular joy or, or something like I mean, life in our fallen world is not always meat. It is often, uh, it is often messy. But this is why Jesus goes on, and in verse 26, he focuses our eyes very clearly on eternity. And what he says here is that in the end, you need to understand that even if following Jesus doesn't seem worth it in this existence, the reality is that living for yourself rather than living for Christ, it will just never be worth it in the end. Why? Because your soul is more valuable than all the world. Okay, look at verse 26. Jesus says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their own soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, Jesus is saying that even if by living for yourself rather than God, you are able to get to just get everything in this world, even if that were possible, it it wouldn't be worth it, because in the end you'll be Judged when you die, you will be judged. And if you're not a disciple of Jesus, if you, if you don't have his blood atoning for your sin, then you've gained all of that and you've missed out on eternal life. And that's a bad trade. Some of you here may have heard of Ron Wayne. Not John Wayne, but Ron Wayne. Uh, Rain was one of the three founders of Apple. But in 1976, he dumped his 10% stake of Apple. And from that, he was able to cash $800 into his bank account. Now, today, if Wayne still owned his 10% stake, it would be worth, um, as of last night, $238 billion dollars. It is said that his decision to make that trade was one of the worst trades in human history. And what Jesus is saying here is that actually, even if you owned all of Apple, um, and even if you had everything else, the best friends, the perfect family, all the freedom to go wherever you want, all the freedom to do whatever you want, even if you had the whole world to trade that in for your soul, It's a trade that is worse than Ron Wayne's trade. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their own soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You know, some of you here are young, uh, you're starting out, maybe you're getting toward the end of high school, you've got aspirations, so many good things to look forward to. I want to say to you, good on you. Um, that's, that's so good, awesome. Such an exciting time of life. But don't forget your soul. Uh, remember that it matters more than your upcoming course, more than your upcoming job, your car, your sweetheart, your cruise. Are you right with God through Jesus? Are you giving up your life for him? Others of us here are at a different stage of life. Maybe you are older 
and there's been some big disappointments in your life. And sometimes, if you're honest, you are tempted to ask, is following Christ really worth it? Like, like really, is it really worth it? And the answer of this passage is that your safety in Christ and your eternal life outweighs a million times over, a billion times over everything else. What good would it be even if you did have the perfect life, you gained the whole world and you lost your own soul? There's going to be no disappointment in the end if you have Christ. There will be no questions in the end about whether or not it was worth giving up your life for Christ. Your soul is more valuable than all the world. And so this is the second reason why we can sacrifice joyfully. And then the third reason we want to give here is that Jesus notices and rewards. Okay, that's there in verses 27 and 28. It says there, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus notices and Jesus rewards. Now this isn't saying that people earn their way to heaven. We've already seen that Jesus' death on the cross, that's what actually pays for our forgiveness. And Jesus has only just told us there that there's, I mean, there's nothing that we could possibly give for the sake of our soul. And so we can't possibly earn our way to heaven. But what this is saying is that when the follower of Jesus makes sacrifices in um, pursuing him, Jesus notices. Um, And In his grace, not because he's obliged to, but just in his grace, he will reward them. Jesus notices the deeds that you do because of your faith in him. Okay, I don't know whether or not uh, you ever feel like uh, you are unnoticed. Maybe you feel even that the sacrifices that you make are unnoticed. And it can make it actually harder to persevere in those sacrifices, can it not? Uh, Many of you serve at home, raising kids. It may feel like that's sort of in the background. Uh, Many of you serve in roles that are not so upfront at church. Others of you serve in your community. uh, Maybe you even care for sick family members or sick friends and many of these things not many would know about. And meanwhile, if you spent your time doing something else, perhaps doing some study, getting a degree, getting a master's, um, uh, digging deeper into your career, that would feel like it would get more accolades for you. But to each one who seeks to follow Christ by quietly giving up their life for others, Jesus reminds us that he notices. See, as Christians, our first goal is not to please those around us, to please our boss, friends, family. Our first goal is to please Christ. And so though no one else may notice how helpful it is to notice uh, to know that Jesus notices even as we give up our lives for him and that by his grace he even rewards deeds done in his name not because he has to 
but just because that is his character. See, this is the king that we serve. The king we serve is one who gives. Jesus, though he is the Christ, the the Messiah king who deserves all allegiance everywhere, yet this is the king that came to give his life for many. He denied himself for our sakes. And so it is that we, as his disciples, we give up our lives. We follow him by not living for ourselves. And we do this knowing that the point is not to earn favour with him, but rather because this is the only response to a king such as this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his willingness to give up his life for us. Uh, Help us to be willing to follow him, to act out of the the self-giving love, that same self-giving love that he has shown us. Uh, Thank you that to give up our lives for you is, in fact, to find life. May we believe that and may we live it out in this coming week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.